I would have been stuck forever and never started my podcast if I would have waited until I felt good enough. I refused actually for the first full season to even look at my numbers. If you start thinking about the numbers, your content will decline. It'll, it'll alter, it'll make these little alterations in the questions that you ask or the nervousness that you feel going into the conversation. Every season of the podcast, I say, I'm done. There's nothing else to talk about. That's it. That's a wrap. And every single time that I take that pause, my brain is swirling with ideas. I really sit down and write a list of what topics are lighting me on fire. That post that you may make that people don't click, they might not be ready for it yet. Sometimes people don't know what they need yet. Your audience will come around and, and they'll be grateful that you're there waiting for them rather than like you're kind of like lagging behind trying to catch up, you know? You're listening to Inside the Podcast Studio, the show where we go behind the scenes with successful independent podcasters to help and inspire you on your podcast journey. I'm your host, Rob J, and as you heard in that introduction, podcaster and host of the Kid Factory podcast, Cindy Robinson, is about to drop some serious 411 about starting a successful podcast and specifically how to do it without waiting for perfection. So if you've been procrastinating starting that new podcast or you've been procrastinating doing something different with your existing podcast maybe, or maybe you're just a little hung up on your numbers, not doing what you wanted them to do and are feeling a little deflated, then this conversation might just have something for you. So let's cut straight to it. Here's my conversation with Cindy Robinson. I guess the first thing that I want to know and that the listeners might not know is who you are. So for the listeners sake, can you just give us like a quick synopsis of like, who is Cindy Robinson? So my name is Cindy Robinson and my podcast is the Kid Factory podcast. And it's part of a bigger community project called the Kid Factory. And the whole goal is to get cutting edge mental health resources into the hands of as many families as possible. So in my case, the podcast is a weekly guest's that have some sort of area of expertise on either mental health or parenting, or sometimes it's physiology. I'm talking to scientists, everybody um, who can offer some insight on mental health. So that's what the podcast is. And it's all part of this greater mission to kind of inform our families about resources that are out there that they may not have access to otherwise. So I'm having someone on the podcast that maybe they wouldn't be able to talk to otherwise. Okay. All right. Great. That's, that's a great synopsis. So prior to the podcast, what was like your day job or your profession or what was your background? Yeah, prior to starting the podcast, I had no experience in anything about broadcasting or anything. And I worked at a children's counseling center as a mindfulness coach. And so um, I worked with children all the time th through um, like developing tools for mental health. But then I started realizing, wow, everybody needs this information. And I wasn't hearing exactly what I was learning through the counseling center, working with my students and families. Um, anywhere else. And so I was hoping somebody else would make a podcast. <laughs> I didn't think it would be me, um, but it was the only way I could figure out how to get the word out. And so, uh, yeah, the background was mindfulness coach, certainly not any training whatsoever in podcasting. Okay. So, so I'm super intrigued, right? Has that changed since the podcast? Like, like I, is the podcast or the Kid Factory, is that now your, your day job or do you have a day job and this is on top? I, essentially, the Kid Factory is the day job. Um, now I, I've you know, kind of upped my certifications. And so now I work as a parent and teen coach 
um, which is a little more in depth than what I was doing before with the mindfulness coaching. So, yeah, um, and it's the the podcast has really helped direct a lot of people towards my individual coaching. So, yeah, now I'm completely self-sustained um, and I work for myself now. Yeah. <laughs> you live in the dream. So the show is called The Kid Factory, right? So can you tell the listeners, you kind of like you've kind of already dug into what The Kid Factory podcast is about. But can you like dig into a little bit about why you started the podcast? Sure. Uh, basically, um, when I started my nonprofit, The Kid Factory, that was just supposed to be about having these pop-up events that promoted the role of play in a child's mental health. It was really early in my journey of figuring out what was going wrong because um, kids' mental health has gone has been on a rapid decline. The pandemic didn't help, but it was already struggling. So I was doing these pop-up events and families were coming to me and saying like, you know, asking really in-depth questions about their child's anxiety or their child's ADHD. And it was just things I couldn't get into um, and also things that I didn't necessarily specialize in. And so I kept thinking of all the people that had influenced my journey and people I'd learned from, authors, scientists, um, therapists, things like that. And so I realized some of these families wouldn't be able to, A, either afford these specialists or an author, you know, you can't call up the author of every book that you ever read that you Just like. Ask right? questions, yeah. <laughs> um, so I thought, hmm, well, what if I get these resources together and put it into a podcast? And that way, if a family asks me a question, I can be like, here, I'm going to shoot you this episode. I'm going to text you an episode of the podcast. And there you go. Okay. All right. So that makes sense. So you had the idea, right? And I listened to probably like the first three, including the introduction podcast, right? So, so you have this idea. And, and like you said, you're not a podcaster. So I guess what was the journey from I have this idea to I've just released my first episode and I've got like three guests ready to go already? Yeah, it's sort of a blessing and a curse. But my um, my ADHD side tends to just jump in and figure it out later. But I am really glad that I did that um, because I would have been stuck forever and never started my podcast if I would have waited until I felt good enough. So, yeah, no, I just dove in. I took like one, it was Jenna Kutcher's podcast lab, and it was part of some deal that she was doing. So it was like $75. I think it's normally much more expensive than that. I took like one crash course on podcasting, and then I just started recording. And yeah, if you listen to those older <laughs> episodes, they're they're not that well edited at all. The audio is not good at all. Um, but I don't regret it. Like, I don't look back and cringe. I look back and go, wow, like, look how far I've come. I, I wasn't going to say anything. In the first episode, I was like, oh, because the, the, the audio jumps <laughs> in and so out. Bad. It was like, it's really good quality. And then the next section is like, it's not really good quality. But then once you start like getting into the shows, I feel like at that point, it really doesn't matter. Like people just want to hear the content and the content is good. So yeah. And you live, you learn as you go, you know, and I agree with you. I really was like, I know this content solid, so I don't have to care about these other things. As it went on, then I could prioritize those things, you know, and then, you know, content plus quality is just next level. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. So your first, so your show is an interview based podcast, right? Like you find, you know, authors or like specialists in their field and you talk to them about whatever that specialist subject is for them, right? So, but you did this from the start. So how did you get those first few guests? And, and I'm also really intrigued to like, how did you approach the show in terms of, it's, it's a weekly podcast, right? Did you have a few in the bank before you launched or were you like week by week recording and editing? Like, how did that look? I did learn like from that podcast lab, little crash course that I took, that one of the main things that they said was to have a few 
batch recordings ready to go so that if people do want to binge listen to your content, they can. And that's really good advice. So I definitely advise doing that. And as far as, um, you know, how I compile the content, uh, every season of the podcast, I say, I'm done. There's nothing else to talk about. That's it. That's a wrap. And every single time that I take that pause, um, like I'm in a pause right now and my brain is swirling with ideas and there's so many people to talk to. So I'd, I'd like to just sit down and, and first of all, not think about what do people want to hear or, you know, what, um, who's going to get me more listeners. I really sit down and write a list of what topics are lighting me on fire. Like, what did I learn about? And, and there's nobody to talk to about it right now. Or like, you know, what is really cutting edge in, in this in, in that really lights me up? So I write those topics down and then I look at, all right, who do I know of? That's the best person to talk to. And I just kind of start at the top, you know, like whatever author wrote the book that lit me on fire. I start there. I can't get them. You know, I just kind of go next level of like what therapist do I know that also specializes in this or something like that. Like a follow up to that is, I guess when you start out podcast, right, I had this experience. So I have another podcast, which is about like by by like day job I'm an app developer so I started a podcast that's like coding related things and when I started I was like I know who I want to talk to but I don't think they're ever going to want to talk to me so I had like a list so like these are the guys at the top that I want to talk to these are the people in the middle that I want to talk to these are the people that I could get so when you started right you you were already in the field so did you like just go for I'm gonna I want to talk to this person so I went for that or did you have like you know these are the people that I think I can get and then maybe season two I could get these people yeah i went i went big from the start honestly and my confidence just kind of like if you put enough out there the people you want to talk to if just one of your sort of bigger people or people that you're very much admire says yes you kind of start building momentum you know and then you feel a little more like oh i can do this people want to talk to me plus i'd say when you're reaching out to them i think the reason i got because in my first season i got what for, for me was a big yes and it was an author of my favorite book um, and, and he's like a professor at Oxford. He's got way more things to do that are way more important to talk to this girl who will have probably five people listen to the first episode. Um, but I think that he felt my passion, you know, and that I had really, truly loved his work and had really admired him. And I think that that's different than sort of sending out a generic email to people. I think really connecting with like how their work resonated with you or why they inspired you makes people feel, you know, a little more like, ah, I better say yes to this, you know? <laughs> Okay. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. I heard something like that on a podcast recently as well. That was kind of my experience is like, if you copy and paste the same email to everybody, you get like very few responses. Cause they're like, well, this it's like getting a newsletter, right? It's like, it says my name, but it's not for me. Like a million people got this. So Absolutely. Yeah. If you give a copy and paste email, you're going to get like a copy paste decline. <laughs> you know, that's like, thank you for if your time. If you're even lucky to get a decline for sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. So you mentioned, you know, you might have five people listen to the first episode and one of the things that I wanted to do with this show is like there's a lot of things that I feel like people don't tell you so you know you do a podcast course and they say you could do this this is how you launch it this is how you promote it and stuff but nobody says the first you know few months if you get 10 downloads per episode that could be great for what you're doing and you only hear like the success stories of you know people even you don't even hear the numbers right like my favorite shows I might be the only listener to those shows and I would have no idea and I just assume because it's my favorite show oh they've got thousands of listeners or millions of listeners so like when when you started you launched that first episode 
what was the I, I don't know the right way to term like download count or listener count or like to the best of your knowledge say the first few episodes like what did that look like I'm sure it looked terrible, um, but I refused actually for the first full season to even look at my numbers. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's one of those. I don't, that'll be that advice that maybe doesn't resonate with 90% of your audience, but for 10% there, it might be like what gives them hope because I needed it to put me in check. I needed to, I knew I needed to not think about the numbers. And if you start thinking about the numbers and I can really tell you this at this point, um, if you start thinking about the numbers, your content will decline. It'll, it'll alter, it'll make these little alterations in the questions that you ask or the nervousness that you feel going into the conversation or, you know, it has these little impacts or at least it did for me. So people like me. So I did not, I would not look at my numbers the first season. And then now I don't look at my numbers now and because it's, it's irrelevant now. Does, does that make sense? Like I looked, then I kind of peeked at them, you know, around season two and I saw that things were really starting to happen um, and things were starting to click. And then now I don't look at them because it definitely doesn't define things. And I, when I reach out to sponsors and things like that, um, just the way that I'm presenting myself, I'm not here to tell, to prove to you that you need to sponsor my podcast with numbers. It's, it's basically like, do you want to be a part of this or do you not want to be a part of this? Um, here's a flat rate. I don't do like based on downloads or anything like that. So I hope that's helpful. It's like kind of bad advice, but good advice for some people, I think. <laughs> I mean, I think it's subjective, right? So I, I interviewed um, Travis Brown for the first episode of this and, and he has a similar philosophy, right? Well, his philosophy is just like downloads don't mean anything. So I asked him the same question. I was like, what was your download? He's like, I don't know. And then he, and then he went into like this whole spiel, which I agree with about how he doesn't look at downloads because they don't mean anything, right? It just means that somebody downloaded that episode. They may have listened to it. They may have not listened to it. They may have listened to one minute. They may have downloaded it by accident. And then part of his thing to me was like, he, he challenged me when I launched this to not look at the numbers for 30 days, which I was, uh, which is what I'm going to go with. So I really like your approach of just like not looking for a whole season. Cause I definitely agree. Like it changes I always compare it to like an Instagram post, right? If I do a really good Instagram post, what I think is really good and it gets zero likes, I probably won't do that again because I'm like, well, people don't like it, but I liked it. But suddenly it's like, well, what you think and your your idea of things is invalid because people, other people didn't like it. And I feel like downloads is the same thing. Like you make what you want and then the people that want that content will find it. Yeah, it sounds really kind of hokey and I didn't really like, you know, I wasn't really buying it, but now really experiencing the other side of that hill, I feel like, um, with, with like now really being able to sustain my income, you know, which is kind of the, how, for me, how I defined success was, can I sustain an income and not be a drain on my family with this? Um, and so now being what I feel like was on the other side of that hill, I realize it only works when you don't care about it anymore, you know, because like you said, that post that you may make that people don't click, they might not be ready for it yet. So if you're a little bit ahead of the game, it might look like you're creating something that's not useful or whatever, but sometimes people don't know what they need yet. And so keep doing what you're doing and your audience will come around and, and they'll be grateful that you're there waiting for them rather than like you're kind of like lagging behind trying to catch up, you know? Totally. I totally agree with that. I like to think of it also as like it's a cult movie because most cult movies, when they come out, they bombed, right? Like if somebody knew what the numbers were going to be when they were like making the film, they wouldn't have made the film. And then you fast forward like 10 years time and there's like conventions for whatever the movie was because yeah. there's a whole, yeah. <laughs> My favorite movie is Tropic Thunder, which is a cult movie. Do you know that movie? 
Yeah. <laughs> <Love that> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, case in point, exactly. Yeah. It's the best movie ever and it's one of those cult classics. For sure. I mean, there's so many movies that I've been to the cinema and watched and people are like, oh, this is not good. And then like five years later, I find out like, oh, actually, there's this whole audience of people that really liked it. So they just must, it's not that it wasn't good. It's just, it wasn't for them. So Yeah. And they weren't ready for it yet. And they weren't ready for it. Exactly. Exactly. So before we get back to my conversation with Cindy, I want to ask for your support. And no, I'm not asking for money. Although if you want to donate to the show, you can do so by going to insidethepod.co slash donate. See, I got that in there. I actually wanted to ask for your support in the form of a positive review in your podcast app of choice. So as I've known for a while, but I've only recently heard people talking about it, positive reviews and ratings don't actually help anyone find the show, as you may have heard other podcasters say. But what they do do is they offer up social proof, which means they allow others who come across the show to see what you think of it. And hopefully you think it's awesome. And then they'll see that and they'll be like, oh, maybe I want to check it out because I like awesome stuff too. So if you can take 30 seconds, leave a positive review about the show in your podcast app of choice, and I will read your review out on the next episode. Oh, and PS, if you have a podcast, make sure you name drop it in the review so I can shout it out when I read your review on the next episode. Now, back to the show. So you said you don't look at the download numbers anymore. So... Are there any, is there anything that you do look at? Like it doesn't have to be specifically, you know, numbers, but something that you look at to say, is the podcast going in the right direction or this guest was a good guest? Maybe I need to get more guests in this vein or is it purely just, I do what I like to do and hopefully people like it. Um, I'll say it's mostly, it is mostly that it is mostly at this point I've gained that confidence. I could never have had that in the beginning. (laughs) You know, so I don't want to act like, oh, you know, that's so easy. It was There was a lot of years of worrying and making poor decisions because I was worried about what people thought or what people wanted. Um, but mostly it is now. And, and I wish I could go back and tell myself as quickly as possible. But other people were trying to tell me and I just wasn't listening. Um, so it's OK if you're not listening to that. But uh, I try to mostly gauge it on. Do I feel good about what I'm putting out there? Um, do I feel like I'm a, and and also um, it's really important to have a community. I've I've found that um, having other people who are in this journey with you, coming up with you, that sort of feeling of we're coming up together is an awesome feeling. And I think looking around at who am I coming up with, like who's it, who am I keeping company with, and if I'm really impressed by them, you know, or if I'm really fired up by what they're doing or they're doing really well. That for me feels like a sign of success. So if I'm watching more people start to watch them, you know, and I'm in that circle with them, I think that's a really good, healthy way to gauge success, you know, where that things are moving forward. So I guess that's the way. I mean, yeah, it feels good every time I get, you know, new followers on Instagram or what, you know, I can see that. I can see likes. It feels good, but um, I'm not looking at my insights, you know, on Instagram like I used to, not looking at my downloads on Libsyn like I used to. Um, yeah, I really kind of have let go of that stuff at this point. And it, I had to do that before it started clicking. So it wasn't like it started going really well and then I kicked back and quit. I was kind of banging my head against the wall. And then I was like, what kind of person do I want to be here? You know, like, do I want to be the person who bangs their head against the wall over numbers? Then when I quit, then things started to elevate. So it's important to note that it wasn't like once it got good, then yeah, of course I can kick back and relax then. Like I had to do it first. 
Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. That that totally makes sense. Like the more you're not, you're definitely not the first person that I've heard talk about this. You're the first person that I know that's like implemented it to the point that they just don't look anymore, which I think is great. And the more that I hear people talk about this, I'm just like, maybe I should just do the same thing. I just, I just won't look because then there's like, as far as I'm concerned, it's great. Everything's great. And then if people also find it great, it's bonus. So yeah, it's going to be what's going to be, whether you're looking or not, you know, <laughs> like, like there's a tree makes noise when it falls in the woods or whatever that saying is, it's falling either way, you know? Yeah, I gotcha. So you just mentioned it, that you charge $50 for a sponsor, flat fee, that's it. And I find that really intriguing, right? Because I would imagine there's a lot of people that were like, if they had the success that your podcast has, they could like fill it with ads and they could do all sorts of things, right? Because essentially it would be like milking a cash cow, a cash cow, right? Like the content's still there, but around it is all these other things that generate you income and you decided not to do that. So I assume it was a conscious decision. So what was the reason behind that? Um, yeah, and this may not be helpful for everybody, but in my case, most of my income was going to come from working with clients one-on-one, right? So that I wanted more attention towards that and helping people individually and more attention towards my project and the events that we were doing there. So, you know, if, if the ads are where your most of your income is, is hoping to come from, maybe it's not great advice. But I did, I did just definitely want to have ads of people I believed in. In the beginning, 50 was great. Like 50 was like amazing that you could get anybody to pay you anything. You know, I just wanted them to pay for the equipment, you know, and to, to cover the cost of the podcast. So that's where that rate started was I just needed to cover. I don't like feeling like, um, I'm a drain on my family or others or something like that. It's really big for me. So I'd like to feel self-sustained. That was $50 an ad and getting at least one ad a podcast is what I needed to pay for the podcast. Um, so then it just stayed that way because it, it started to kind of grow and like the content started getting, you know, more important to me or more heartfelt. And it, it was like, am I going to spend more time looking for more sponsors to get more ads or am I going to spend that time looking for guests, you know, and really hunting down these better and better guests? And I just decided to make the decision of go for the content. Don't worry so much about, you know, getting as many ads or as many sponsors as possible. Don't worry about raising rates on them because I, you know, I became, you know, like you said, coming up, like I said before about coming up with people, I became to have a a relationship with my sponsors, you know, and I I didn't want to do that to them either. It's definitely, it's an awkward situation, right? And especially if you don't have to do it. Yeah, it's hard. It's like okay to ask for money like i don't want anybody to think that they can't ask for what they're worth um but you know i think being transparent about when you're asking i think really helps with your your sponsors is saying like look i'm trying to do this thing i'm trying here's who i have booked for this you know because i let them choose you know which which uh episodes they want to sponsor so they see the content they know that it's solid and um even if they don't know that like how many people are going to listen to this episode they feel like the episode could one day be very pivotal I mean, and, w- and one day there could be tons of listeners. So they, it's worth that investment early on from them, I think. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, that you let you let the, the sponsors know, you know, what guests and they get to pick the guests, right? And obviously you go out and you find the guests. But something that I'm really interested in with people that do like interview based podcasts, I guess, how do you prepare? The first question would be, how do you prepare for an interview with a guest, especially like the guests of your caliber? Because like, in like for example in my other show i understand coding right so i know roughly where i want to go and i kind of know the answers they're going to give so like make it a bit interesting but i i know where i'm going and i kind of know what i'm doing 
But if I was to interview somebody, like if I'm interviewing you now, I don't know anything about what you do other than what I found on the internet. So like, how do you go about preparing for an interview that, like that? Um, I think it's okay to not know things. Like I think curiosity is really, I'm a big fan of curiosity. So, you know, I don't have anybody on the podcast on that. I have no idea who they are, you know, so I've probably read their book or I, um, you know, somehow know about the work that they do in the field. But, uh, yeah, no, I like when people know way more than me. Every guest I have is smarter than I am. So, um, I am fine with that. I think it's just about presenting yourself as curious. You know, you're just curious about the work that they do. And that feels good. It feels good. Like you're being curious about me. And it feels good for me to be like, oh, for once I have an answer. <laughs> you know, it makes you feel smart or it makes you feel good. Okay. So you, you're curious. You go into an interview. I assume you have some kind of like, you know, rough bullet points of this is kind of where we're going. But when you're actually doing it, do you have an idea before you record that interview what you want the outcome of that interview to look like? Uh, the outcome, no. I definitely have what the goal is. So going in, I know I need parents to have tools on, you know, um, I'm trying to. So, for example, my favorite guest ever was Dr. Robert Plowman, and he is a geneticist and he's done the most extensive genetic research ever about nature versus nurture. So I read his book. I'm obsessed with him. I know that people need to know what nature and nurture actually are. But, you know, how he's going to present that or what he's going to share, or how, you know, how he goes about that. I don't know. I do have just my list of what do people need to know that I think. But certainly I leave room for if he says something mind blowing and I didn't know that or, you know, we can go down rabbit holes um, for certain. But uh, yeah, have a rough idea. I look at it and actually meditate. So I, I meditate over it sometime before that episode. And then I go in with nothing. Um, very conversational. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, so something that I'm always interested in is people's processes about how they put stuff together, right? So end-to-end, -end, so let's say you have an interview today with, you know, Dr. Plowman, and it's going to be your episode whenever that goes out. Like, what does that process look like? So you've recorded the interview, and then from there, what are the steps to get it to publish? Sure. So I, bat I batch record. That just works better for my calendar. So I take about six weeks that I batch record maybe 16 episodes and they know that ahead of time. So they know it's going to be a while, you know, maybe before your episode comes out. And then I release it over like a four month period um, following those six weeks. And so after I do my batch record, um, just kind of as I have time, <laughs> I, you know, that the next step is going to be the editing process. Oh, I used to not edit anything. And I'm sure you experienced those very drawn out conversations. <laughs> it was so yeah. bad. Um, so now I edit much more, um, mostly just to kind of keep that content, uh, accessible, digestible for people. Cause it is a lot of information coming in. So, um, yeah, so I edit, you know, just to keep the meat of the conversation there. And then, um, I, you, I use guitar. I mean, I don't, what is it? Not guitar hero. What's it called? Um, the Apple default editing. Oh, I know, I know, I know what it it's is. But you've here. said Guitar Hero, and now What's I can't get it. I know it's got head. the guitar on there. Garage Band. That's yeah. the one. Okay, good. I'm glad you said <laughs> it. I would never have got that. I use Garage Band, and to edit the podcast, and then I publish it via Libsyn. Um, and I just publish as a scheduled. Um, so you can publish to, to schedule to publish on a future date. 
So I just go in and schedule it. And all my guests know like what their release date will be because I have the calendar ahead of time. So I know I have the topics, then I get the people, then I kind of line it up in a way that feels like a appealing order, I guess. And then so I can go ahead and give them the dates at the time of recording, but their date might be months down the road. I gotcha. Okay. So, so in terms of like, you know, the dates, like how, like, do you promote the podcast in any way or like, like how does that process look like? Yeah. Usually I'm um, the week of the podcast release. I'm releasing things on that topic. I'm introducing who that guest is. And then on the day of the release, I do an audio clip. I'm using the headliner app. It's headliner.app. So I, I put an audio clip out. I create quotes that I think like I make I make my own graphics. So I'll create a graphic about the quote that um, that I felt was really profound in the episode. And I'll release that. That'll get people kind of, you know, mostly it's all my promotions, mostly Instagram. That's where most people find me. And then I send out a newsletter with the episode as well. Oh, that's cool. I like I like the idea of preparing people like before it comes out, like this is who the guy is. And this is the things it's going to be about. But I also find it really interesting. It sounds like you do everything yourself, right? Like you do the editing, you do the graphics, you do the social media, you do like the yeah, whole thing. I, do. I just don't hate any of it. I think if I hated some of it, I might would outsource it. But I like creating. That's a big, that's just a passion of mine. I like creating things. And this has not gotten boring yet. So um, I'm making something. So it feels good. Yeah. I mean, I, I like doing the whole thing. I think part of it I like doing is because I like to say that I did it. Like, I, f I feel like I wouldn't have ownership if I was like, oh, somebody else did it. And maybe at some point I'll be like, oh, I don't yeah. want to do that anymore. Yeah, but there's a real source of pride of like, I did this from start to finish, from finding that first part or even just creating that topic in my head to this finished product at the end. And it's, it feels really good. Yeah, definitely. So I was listening to, um, I think, one of the podcasts you did with Addison Hare. And at the start, like in the intro, she was like, um, you know, like Cindy is the one that I go to if I have like if I need parenting advice or if I have questions and all this kind of stuff. And so my question to you is because because obviously everybody sees you that know who you are, sees you as like this person where I, I would assume you have all the answers, right? Whether that's true or not true because of the podcast, you're in this position where it's like, well, you have the answers. So do you do you feel like they're when they come to you, do you feel like, yeah, I know this? Or do you feel like, oh, you shouldn't be asking me like you should be asking that person? <laughs> no, I, I don't feel like the expert. There are times people come to me and I'm like, I know this because this is my passion or this is what I you know, this is my world. Like this is what I this is my rabbit hole. Um, I kind of see it as like cyclical. I feel like um, if you've ever been in therapy, um, you know, what I've learned is like, you know, you you heal. And then if you were to become a therapist, seeing people as part of your healing process as well so you know i'm still in the process of healing i'm still in the process of growing and evolving and when i see people that is part of my process of growing um and so they're giving to me and i'm giving to them and then also there's all these other people like i talked about coming up with you know coming up with a group of people or group of experts there's tons of people that i look at and admire and and I think are amazing and have taught me so much. And I just think um, it's this give and take, this sort of balance in the universe, honestly, that um, no, I'm not the expert of anything. I haven't reached any kind of like m special, you know, milestone or anything like that. It feels good for people to say that. But I know that in me giving that, they are giving back as much to me. Um, and so it is very uh, cyclical, I guess. That I hope that makes sense. No, totally. I think that's a that's a that's a great way to look at it. Yeah. Okay. So, I guess something a little bit more fun on your first episode, or which was like an introduction, which I really liked. I feel like podcasts, like so when when I've started, like when I started doing podcasts, it was like 
you do a trailer and your trailer needs to be this long and you've got music and you have like 30 seconds to like, this is everything the podcast is about. And then see you on Monday or whenever it comes out. And so you did an introduction, which I really liked because it basically explained this is what it's going to be about. But then also you were like, you seemed really proud. Like, you know, my son made this music and the, the logo was made by, I think it was your niece. And so like, that was really cool. Right. Cause it sets the tone straight away. But something you said in that episode was, that you've recorded the podcast in like lots of different places. And so I found that a bit curious as to like, the first thing that came to mind was like, what's the weirdest or most difficult place that you've recorded the show? Oh, I know there's a good answer to this because there was, well, definitely in my car. Like we've had, we've had situations where <laughs> there was like their child was screaming and just wouldn't stop. <laughs> and so we went into my car. That's part of parenting, right? I've recorded with people and they were at a horse farm in the middle of nowhere and can hear just like horses in the background or roosters at my own house. The pandemic helped me go a lot more remote. But before that, I was going everywhere. Was that by choice? Like you would go and meet people rather than, you know, hey, let's jump on a Skype call and record it? Yeah, I think I was just scared of not having a connection with someone if I wasn't in the same room as them. And and I was already nervous enough to be making a podcast. I didn't want to add that fear to anything. So, no, I didn't mind. But then there were people that I had to record remotely, like Dr. Plowman, who's in the UK. So I have to record remotely with him. And then it, as it kept happening, it got more and more comfortable. But at the time, I was kind of proud of having like a mobile podcast. I had my little duffel bag full of stuff and it was pretty cool. Yeah, no, you should be proud because like I'm I'm the opposite. Like this for me is comfortable. If you were sitting right here doing this show, it would not be comfortable at all. Well, we'd both be all hot and sweaty. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. It would, wouldn't smell too good. Yeah, it, would be, it would be uncomfortable <laughs> on a lot of levels. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Okay. So I have some like quick fire, just some quick fire questions. So I'll ask and then you answer. Okay. All right. All right. So um, who is your podcast host? Me. Cindy Robinson. Okay, awesome. So you're the, uh, uh, you're the second person. I worried I was going to get that wrong for no, some no, reason. no. You got it right, but you're the, you, literally the other second person. I did I did one yesterday, and the guy answered the same thing, and then I didn't get it, and then I realized it's because the question's so weird, right? My question is supposed to be like, so your answer is Libsyn, I think, but I'm asking the question oh, wrong. So I need to yeah. figure out a better way to ask that question. So Posting like, platform. Yes. What right, is, I'm, yeah. Right. I'm, I'm going to write that down right now because otherwise <laughs> I'm going to do this every interview and everyone's going to be like, that's so weird. <laughs> well, that's what I felt like. I feel like I'm going to get this wrong because it sounds too obvious. Yeah. Um, I could also yes, just it ask is. it as a trick question. That would be quite funny. But yeah, that's, that's not the intention. Okay. Um, it is Libsyn. I do use Libsyn. Yeah. Okay. All right. Awesome. So, and your logo, I know your previous logo was made by your niece, I think, but then you have a new logo for when you change the name, right? So where did you get that from? I created that graphic. Awesome. Okay, cool. Then it is, mm -hmm. it is very good. So kudos. That's okay. yeah, really nice. Um, what microphone do you use? I use a Shure SM58. Nice. Okay. And then um, you already said what audio editing software you use, which is not Guitar Hero, it is Garage, Garage Band. <laughs> Um, Garage band. Yeah. So then the final quick fire question is, what are your top three favorite podcasts right now? Oh, you know what? I still love Joe, the Joe Rogan experience. Like, I know he's big and bold, but like everybody knows him, but I do love that podcast. I like She Sounds Like Me is a really good podcast. Um, That's like a mother daughter. Yeah. Host it together. And oh, man, um, that third slot's going to be hard to fill. 
Um, probably Allison Hare's um, podcaster's journey. I've been really into that one. She has culture changers too, but I've been really into the podcaster's journey. Yeah, me too. I think that's probably in my top three right now because it is really, really good and like super insightful and just like, yeah, useful, useful stuff. So, and that's also how I found you. So this wouldn't be happening if I didn't listen to that show. We got to shout that one out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So what is the most challenging thing that you found through doing this experience? Um, probably that whole, you have to not care about the success in order to be successful. <laughs> this is a really beat your head against the brick wall kind of lesson, I have to say. And then following from that is kind of the inverse, which is what is one piece, if you could give one piece of advice to somebody who has a podcast now, what would that one piece of advice be? Um, well, I'm going to skip what I feel like a lot of people are going to say, cause they'll get that advice. Um, but I would say nuanced niche topics um to to look at that to look at creating really specific topics i think people get scared and they do really broad topics in order to capture um a bigger audience but i learned every single time i do one of these really specific nuanced topics i get a million people reaching out you know and talking about how that episode helped them and changed them people need to be talked to directly I think if you're talking broadly, they're like, they don't mean me. You know, that's not me. I'm, I'm the exception. But I think when you're like, I'm talking to you, like this is your disorder or this is your life or this is the way you're doing a podcast. People listen, listen. Okay. Okay. I like that answer. Last question. Um, and this is just like a random question because I thought of it yesterday and I feel like there's probably people that will listen to this that have kids. So Seeing as you are the kid expert. If there is such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so the way that I wrote down was what is one piece of advice you would give to a parent to improve their or their child's life? Oh, one piece. That's a big one. Mm. This is so hard to narrow down to, to something, to just one big thing. But let me think. I can do this. I would say love yourself first. Um, I guess if I had to really chunk it down to what is the most essential thing, I would say love yourself first. Find a way to truly be compassionate towards and love yourself. And then being a parent to your child doesn't carry such a heavy burden because you you love the person who's carrying that burden so they can carry it a little more easily. So I'd say love yourself first and that love for your children will it's going to come through either way. Okay. All right. Great. I think that's a great, great place to wrap it. Um, So the final Final question is where can people find you online, social media? Where can they find out more about the podcast? All that good stuff. Everything is on my website, which is thekidfactory.org. And then if they want to follow me on social media, Instagram is probably the best one. And my um, handle is at the underscore kid underscore factory. And then they can search any platform that they listen to their podcasts. Um, just search the Kid Factory podcast. Huge thanks to this week's guest, Cindy Robinson. Make sure you check out Cindy's show, The Kid Factory, and make sure you connect with her on all the socials. All the links for everything we discussed in this episode, including the links to her social media and to her show, The Kid Factory, are in the show notes. So for this week's highlight of the week, it's not going to be a podcast. It is not going to be a podcast episode like it was last week. This week's highlight of the week is actually going to be a tool it's a tool that I use for every single episode. It's a tool that I've had guests ask me about because they're interested in using it too. So I thought I'd share it on here as my highlight of the week so that 
more people can learn about my experience with it. And that tool is riverside.fm. So every conversation that you're going to hear on Inside the Podcast Studio was recorded using riverside.fm. So if you interview guests for your show and they're remote or you have podcast hosts who are also remote and everything is done remotely, you know, you might be familiar with Skype. Most recently since COVID, lots and lots of people are familiar with Zoom and that's what they've been using to record. And you might have even heard of tools like Squadcast and Zencaster. And if you're not familiar with those tools, the difference between using a Zoom or Skype tool versus a Squadcast or a Zencaster or Riverside.fm is that Skype and Zoom, whatever you hear on that call and whatever you see on that call is exactly what gets recorded. Whereas with Squadcast or Zencaster or Riverside.fm, what you hear on the call and what you see on the call is not what gets recorded. What gets recorded is the audio exactly as it is captured on that person's device. So rather than having the audio that doesn't sound great or audio that, you know, might cut in and out based on that person's internet connection, the actual recording that you end up with is a crystal clear recording that sounds exactly how it sounded when that person said it in front of their device. So it sounds like you were in the room with them. That's the whole reason why every interview that I do on here, you can't really tell the difference whether me and that guest were in the same room talking on two different microphones, or if we were on opposite sides of the world talking on two different microphones. And so that's why I use one of these tools. And previously I used to use Squadcast, but most recently And since I started doing this show, I have switched to Riverside FM for one major, major reason, which may or may not be important to you. But as an independent podcaster, it is super important to me. And that is price. So Riverside.fm is much, much cheaper than Squadcast. It has the same features as Squadcast. And I actually like it much, much better. It's much more straightforward to use. It's much more straightforward for the guests. There's less options that they have to worry about and the options that they do have to play with are very, very obvious of what they do. So Riverside is what I use for every single interview that I've done on Inside the Podcast Studio. So if you want to give it a try, they give you, I think it's an hour or a two hour, you have to double check free trial. You get to keep the audio and video that you record there. So you get to try it out for free. And um, if you want to go and check it out, then you can do so. You can go to riverside.fm or you can go to insidethepod.co slash riverside. And obviously, if you go to the latter link, which is the link that's in the show notes, then if you end up purchasing a plan from Riverside, I get a little kickback. So, you know, it's a win-win for everyone. So that's it for this episode of Inside the Podcast Studio. But just before you go, in case you haven't done it yet, I'd really appreciate it if you took 30 seconds to leave the show a positive review in your podcast app of choice. And I will read out your review in the next episode of Inside the Podcast Studio. And quick question before you go... What podcasting tool or service has been a game changer for you and your podcast? DM me at Inside the Pod Studio on Instagram or email me rob at insidethepod.co. I can't wait to hear what tools you use for your podcast. A coffee and coding production. <laughs>